Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Well, it is good to see you, Ascent. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I don't feel like anything can bring me down today because I kid you not, in the past three days, I have had seven full pieces of pecan pie. Which is what this season is truly all about. And uh, I don't expect to receive any judgment from you guys because I plan to have seven total pecan pies by myself before the end of Christmas. This is what this season is all about. Gaining weight by eating pecan pie. And I hope you did have a good Thanksgiving with your family. Taylor and I had three Thanksgivings to go to, uh, which was a lot of fun. At one point, uh, my beautiful bride looked at me and she said, Blake, it is so loud, I think I might have a stroke. So I hope your Thanksgiving was full of, of joy and, and uh, loud family as well. I want to thank everybody in the back at the tables uh, for the lounging area. That way, if they don't like what I'm saying, they can just get out of the building really fast, uh, which is good. Now, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be spending the majority of our time today. Uh, we are continuing our series called Unscripted. And we've been looking at what happens when life goes off the script, when things turn out the way they weren't supposed to turn out. And Briley Goodwin has done a really good job the last two weeks starting the series off for us. He laid some foundational pieces for us in week one. He looked at the story of Elijah. And then last week, he gave us a very timely Thanksgiving message, which is how do we love the people we don't really like? You know, those people in our lives who we have to see them because we're blood related or we're related by marriage. Uh, and yet it's kind of hard to love them sometimes or a coworker or something like that. Uh, yes, Jess, I did not mean that for my grandmother-in-law. Of course I love that. Uh, it's always awkward preaching messages like this because my family's like, are you talking about me? No, I swear. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> so this week, I want to take the focus off of ourselves. Uh, and we, so far we've been looking at what happens when our life goes off a of script. But what do we do when somebody that we are close to has their life go off a of script? How do we comfort those in our life who are hurting. I'll never forget uh, my first time as a youth pastor when one of my youth students lost a parent unexpectedly. And, you know, when I, when I got into ministry, I thought of the preaching, I thought of the leading, I thought of the discipleship. One thing I never imagined I would have to do is look at a 14-year-old girl and her family and try to provide comfort. And I can just remember driving on my way to their house and thinking, Lord, I do not know what to say or what to do. And I felt an immense pressure on my own shoulders. Like, I've, I've got to go in here and say something profound, or I've got to go in here and comfort this grieving family, and I don't know what to do. And you don't have to be a pastor to experience this. Because in all of our lives, there are tragedy all the time. Now, it might not be you specifically, but there is always somebody in your life whose life has gone off the script. Your friend who has lost their job. What do I say to that friend? Or, or your friend who's went to the doctor and got the bad, the, the bad uh, diagnosis from the doctor that they never expected. What do you say to that friend? Or the, the friend who has lost a loved one tragically. Or maybe it's not so tragically. Maybe they've, they've been expecting it for years, but it's finally happened. How do you love that friend? And today we're going to look at three ways. In fact, three kind of key values or components that I believe uh, we must show people if we are going to love them, if we're going to comfort them in their time of life when their life goes off a script. And basically it comes down to this. We're going to be people. That is sent. It's going to be a safe place for people to mourn and be comforted. We are going to be a people with listening ears, reflective hearts, and active hands. And the reason we're going to be people with listening ears, 
reflective hearts and active hands is because that's exactly how Jesus shows compassion to us. In fact, I take it from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is our command for how we be good comforters. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I just want to pause there. Isn't it good news that our God is the God of comfort? In a world full of sorrow, in a world full of death, our God is the God of comfort. That's really good news for me. It should be really good news for you too, because we are going to go through trials, my friend. A little later on in this chapter, which we're not going to read today, the Apostle Paul says, God had given, or sorry, the, the world had given us more than we could bear. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say, God will never test you or give you more than what you can handle. That's a lie, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says he does give us more than what we can handle, but he does so that we might trust in the God of all comfort. It's good news for me this morning. Verse four, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able, look at this, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. How do we comfort those people in our lives? We comfort them the same way God has comforted us. And you say, Blake, I don't really know uh, specifically how God has comforted us. And I would say, I'm glad you're asking that question because I plan my whole sermon around that. So I love when you ask the questions I'm about to answer. And I'm going to answer them in John chapter 11. We're going to look at one of the most fascinating stories in all the Gospels. And usually when I'm preaching through a chapter in the Bible, I want to just kind of pull it out the point. And I just go through it line by line. And I'm really specific about what the author was intending. But from time to time, I like to take it from a different angle. And that is to look at a specific topic through the lens of this chapter. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at how Jesus comforts those who are mourning and how that comfort can be given to us and then also how we can push it out to those in our lives who are hurting. But first, let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father God, I need your help today. Lord, these are hard words um, because life is sad. And uh, Lord, I I don't ever want somebody to, to leave here feeling worse than when they walked in, but At the same time, I know that this is a reality of life, that we hurt and the people around us hurt. God, would you show us how we can comfort people the way you have comforted us? Lord, we all mean well, and yet sometimes we say things that do more damage than good. Lord, would you give us the wisdom of your Holy Spirit? Let us not try to comfort people in our own wisdom, but let us turn to the God of all comfort when we are seeking to comfort those in our lives who are hurting. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. John chapter 11. So let me give you the context of what's going on in this super interesting story. Uh, Jesus is friends with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Uh, He's already visited them earlier in the gospel of John. And now we find out Jesus is in a different place. Uh, The family's in Jerusalem. Jesus is ministering somewhere else. And we find out that Lazarus is sick, like really, really sick. And so Martha and Mary say, we get word to Jesus because they've seen Jesus' power. They believe he is the Messiah. And they say, if anybody can heal our brother, Jesus can do it. And so they send word to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus is dying. We need you to come quickly. And then Jesus says that he was full of, of compassion for them. And he says, this will not end in death. And then the Bible says one of the most interesting things. And then it says, so Jesus stayed where he was for two days. Like, Whoa, wait a minute. You just said this won't end in death. You love Lazarus. And so what do you do? I'm going to stay here for two days. Like, I'm sorry, but can you imagine if your physician 
uh, was like, hey, I, I know you just had a heart attack, but I'm just going to stay here for two more days. It'll be all right. I've got some things to tighten up here. No, no, I want you there now. And Jesus stays there two more days. And then a little bit later, he says, okay, we're ready to go. So the Bible says after Lazarus has already died, Jesus says, all right, let's go back to Jerusalem, uh, which we're like, dude, it's, it's over. He died. The death has already happened. We pick it up in verse 8, and uh, what we see here is his disciples are very uh, not okay with him going back to Jerusalem because the last time they were there, they tried to kill them. So they're like, hey, Jesus, um, this is great. Great plan. Uh, we love that you're going back to a guy that's already dead. But uh, remember last time we almost died, and so we don't actually want to be dead ourselves. And so they kind of try to go into their, this with their master kind of tenderly. I don't know if it's kind of like... You know, with your boss, you're like, you, you want to like think, tell the boss it's a bad idea, but you struggle to tell him it's a bad idea. So that's what the disciples are trying to do right now. Verse eight, look at this. It says, Rabbi, which means teacher. The disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and not recreationally speaking. I added that line in. <laughs> and you're going there again? And then Jesus goes Confucius on him. He just like goes off on this thing that they're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does not stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm about to wake him up. <laughs> I just, I love the disciples. It says, then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. So Jesus is trying to nicely say the guy has died, and the disciples are like, oh, he's asleep? That's perfect for a sick guy. He's going he's gonna to get better. We'll just let him sleep. That'll be all right. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then verse 16, it says, then Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. How many of you have the gift of sarcasm? <laughs> I love Thomas because he's me. Like, he's like, okay, here we go. We're going to go die with Lazarus. I just, I love that. And so they, they, they start on their way. They go back to Jerusalem. And the first person Jesus runs into is the sister Martha. Now, in this sister set, we have the sweet sister and we have the firecracker sister which I've kind of noticed in every sister set that I've encountered, there's a firecracker and then there's one that's a little bit sweeter. Uh, in my wife's, uh, <laughs> we got to, I, I married the firecracker. Uh, Jordan's always really sweet. And then uh, Taylor is the most competitive person I've ever met in my life. Uh, and uh, you don't want to get on her bad side. She's very sweet. But when you get on her bad side, it's not good. The other uh, day, actually it was a couple months ago, I was annoying her. I can't even remember what I was doing because I annoy her in so many different ways <laughs> that she said, I was probably making a, a random noise. Uh, ADHD medicine had probably worn off by this point in the day. And Taylor looked at me with a straight face and she said, if you make that noise one more time, I'm going to punch you in the throat. <laughs> okay. So here we have, we have Martha, who's the sweet sister, and then we have Mary, who's the firecracker. And Jesus first encounters Martha. Uh, and Martha, it, it comes, and she's obviously sorrowful that her brother has died. She says, Lord, I wish that you would have been here to heal him. But then they go into this like theological conversation about the resurrection at the last day, and Martha's okay with it. And then we get to the firecracker sister, which is where I want to pick it up. And this is where we're going to look at these three values that Jesus shows Martha. Listening ears, reflective hearts, and active Hands. Sorry, Mary is who we're looking at now. It says this. I'm picking it up in verse 28. 
The teacher is here and calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can just feel the pain in that. Like, Jesus, we sent word for you to come, and you didn't make it. And if you would have been here, this wouldn't be going this way. Verse 33. And this is our our first value. Listening ears. When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And then he asked a question. Where have you? You put him. I find it really interesting that Jesus asks a question before he makes a statement. He's the God of this universe. Like, like if I'm the God of the universe and you come at me saying, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I would say, whoa, calm down. I'm about to raise him from the dead. Do you not trust in me? Like you've seen me do miracles. I'm about to do one again. But Jesus doesn't do that. Says he's deeply troubled in his spirit. Then he asks a question. Taylor and I, uh, this week, Taylor helped me with my sermon. We, we wrote out, uh, we came up with 30 different ways people who are trying to comfort you can put their foot in their mouth by saying things that are just not helpful. Um, you know, like when you've just lost your loved one and they say, well, at least they're in a better place. Okay, but I'm not. I'm mourning. I'm suffering. Or, or, or people who, who say, you know, you just need to get over this a little bit faster. Uh, like we... we we often put our foot in our mouths, and, and really behind it is this love. We want to help the person. I, mean, I remember driving to that girl's house on that night, and I wanted to say something that was helpful. But in reality, what is most helpful to your friend who is grieving over the loss of a job or a loss of a loved one, whatever the scale is on how big of a deal it is in their life, is the best thing you can do to begin with is not to tell them something or to give them a Bible verse, but to simply listen. How are you feeling? You talk to me as much as you want to talk to me. And sometimes, friends, we don't have to say anything at all. So what I love about Jesus is oftentimes he just sees the suffering person. He touches the suffering person. Perhaps the best thing you can do is walk in, put your hand on their shoulder, and say, I'm so sorry for what happened. And then you just sit there in silence. That often tends to be the best thing we can do for somebody who is suffering. And the reason we don't like to do this, friends... Is because it's awkward for us, right? We want to fix it. We want the person to be happy. We hate that they're crying in front of us, but sometimes life just sucks. Riley said sucks up here on the stage last week, so I feel like he broke the ice for me, and I can say that now in sermons. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up hearing a lie. I don't know if you've heard this lie. Uh, and that lie is that there are no tears in heaven. And I just completely disagree with that now. Uh, see, the, the verse people try to take this from is Revelations chapter 21, 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Say, Blake, well, it says it right there. No tears in heaven. Okay, there's a key word in here that I missed my whole childhood and people helped me miss my whole childhood. And that is, he will. Everybody say will. Will, will is later. 
Right now, we live in a grieving world where things happen the way they're not supposed to happen. See, I can find no evidence in the Bible that there is no grieving in heaven, but I find a lot of evidence that God is a God of sorrow. He's a God of comfort. You know why? Because the world needs comforting. And the Bible tells us that the saints are watching us and cheering us on. And I used to have this picture in my mind that they were just kind of having a party even when my life was falling apart. That God was happy. That God was cheering. That the people were like, oh, it's okay. We know God's plans. Everything's okay. I completely disagree with that. I I do not see any way that the saints cheering us on can look at this broken world that needs the healing and restoration that only Jesus can provide and have a smile on their face at times. Now, now we are like the Apostle Paul. We grieve differently from the world. We grieve with the hope because we know the end of the story, right? Like if you, you watch a game you've already seen, you're not worried about how the score is going to turn out because you've already seen how it's going to end. But there is grief. There is hurt. And sometimes what we need to do is just enter into that grief and feel what the person is feeling and ask questions and listen. And friends, this is really good news. Active ears, listening ears, is really good news for those of us who are very good about putting our foot in our mouth. I don't know about you guys, but my mouth moves faster than my brain. It's a, it's a real big problem I have. Like the filter kicks in three seconds after I've said the stupid thing. I, I envy those of you who talk slow and you're very thoughtful with your words. I say things and I'm like, what did you just say? Uh, like, for instance, I've told you guys before, uh, on my first date with Taylor, one of the first dates anyways, uh, I was driving an F-150 at the time, real nice truck, and uh, I pulled up, and I was, I was getting Taylor uh, for our date, and we walk out. She walks out of the house, and she looks really pretty, and I'm thinking, I'm going to compliment her. This is going to go great. Uh, man, she's looking good. And so I wait till she gets to the truck, and I open the door of my F-150, and my, my brain hadn't kicked in the filter or gave my mouth what to say. My mouth was just like, let's go! And what I said to her was, get in this big truck, you big woman. <laughs> it's like, how is that even a compliment at all, you know? <laughs> and I, I was like, immediately I started trying to backtrack on what I was saying, but it was too late. Like, the words were already out there. And uh, last week I had another moment. <laughs> Taylor got a new cardigan, and I thought it was uh, a pretty cardigan. I thought that it was cow print. Turns out it's leopard print. And uh, on the way out of the house, I said, (laughs) I said, uh, some of you guys know where this is going. I said, you look like a cute little cow. Oh, no. What? Yeah, why? Why did that come out of my mouth? I don't know. And so it, it is very good news for Blake Farley. The best way I can comfort somebody sometimes is not to make a statement. (laughs) But to just be there and to listen. That's number one. Value number one, listening ears. Number two, reflective hearts. We want to have listening ears and we want to have reflective hearts. This is uh, John 11, 34 through 35. And we see the, the very... Uh, shortest verse in all of the Bible in chapter in verse 35 here, John eleven thirty four says, Lord, they told him, come and see. And then look at this, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That word wept in the Greek is not like, a, you know, he had like a little tear coming down his ear, or, or down his ear. <laughs> down, there's the brain thing again, uh, down his cheek. You know, it's, it's sobbing loudly. 
Like this is, this is the kind of cry that you just can't control. Like your whole body's moving. It's a physical reaction kind of sobbing that Jesus has. And it's really interesting because here in just a few minutes, what is Jesus going to do? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why are you crying, Jesus? You know why he's crying? Because he sees the pain of Martha and Mary. He has empathy for them. He feels what they are feeling. He's not like, hey, get over it. I'm about to raise him from the dead. Quit crying. My gosh. No, he sobs with them. This is why Virginia read to us that we are to weep with those who weep. See, I think in the church, we've been really bad at this. Because what we often want to do is just make the person feel better. We see it as our job to cheer the person up. Come on, we're going we're gonna to go and, and we're going to make you happy. I'm going to send you a whole bunch of Bible verses and everything's going to be okay. When in reality, what people often need is just somebody to cry with them. Often what people need is for them to be able to vent to you, to talk to you even about how God has let them down and you not to go into a sermon about how God is really working something out for the good in their lives. They know that, but they don't feel that. And we are very uncomfortable with people who say things like, God, why would you allow this to happen? I mean, for me as a pastor, that question used to really like twist me up when somebody was asking me one-on-one, you know, why would God allow this to happen in my life? Because I could give them the theological answer, but I couldn't give them the heart answer that they were wanting. I could tell them, because God's doing something bigger than what you can imagine, and, and what they would feel is, well, I don't want him to do that then. I don't want him to do a new thing. I want the old thing that I already had. And what I've come to realize in my own life is that we need to vent about God sometimes. That is how we make the full circle. When somebody says, why did God allow this to happen? It's not an opportunity to preach. It's an opportunity to say, I don't know. And I hate that this happened. And if you aren't comfortable with that, I would suggest not reading the Psalms. Because David is uh, pretty angry at God for about one-third of the Psalms. In fact, one-third of them are called Psalms of Lament, which is basically an argument built on trusting God. Read Psalm 13 sometime this week. David goes in on God. God, why have you abandoned me? There's Psalms where it says, God, are you asleep? Wake up. Who says that to God? And yet these are feelings we've all felt before, but we repress them. And in fact, the way that we actually get to true trust is expressing those feelings to somebody, expressing those feelings out loud. And what we often do is we try to not reflect the heart of somebody else. We try to get their heart to change. I want to provide joy. I want you to see what I see. In reality, sometimes the very best thing we can do is to be with them. Uh, Proverbs 25.20 says this. says, singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on soda. I'm going to read that one more time. Singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on Soda. Some ways we do this is we come in and we say things like, at least this didn't happen. At, at, at least you got to live with your mom for this long. Other ways we do this is with tough love, trying to make them move faster through grief. Come on, I know you're sad, but we're going to go out, we're going to go bowling tonight, we're going to get some nachos. And you think you're helping them, and it actually feels like you're helping them in the moment, but you know what happens when you take them home and they're home all alone in an empty bed? It's twice as worse because they've remembered what they've lost. Or we try to silver line it 
Jesus needed another angel. They are in a better place. People say God gives his, his worst battles to his strongest warriors. Okay, that's great, but that doesn't really help me right now. I don't want to be a strong warrior if this is what I get for it. These things are not helpful, although we mean them to be. So, Blake, what am I supposed to say when my friend says, I don't want to lose my hair because I've got cancer? You know what you say to them? You say, I wouldn't want to lose my hair either. I am so sorry that you're going through this. What do you you say to your friend who is saying, I can't believe God would allow this to happen to me? You look at them and you say, I don't know why he allowed it to happen to you either. We reflect their hearts. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We want to have listening ears, reflective hearts. And the last one is we want to have active hands. Verse 36 says, So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Which is the question we all ask, right? Like the Jews, I love how John puts this in scripture. People come up like with these philosophical ideas or like nobody's ever thought about this before God. And it's like, no, they've always been asking the questions you're asking. You're not actually that smart. Uh, People ask the question of why would a good God allow evil to happen? That's exactly what the Jews are asking here. And uh, there's a few answers to that. Uh, Number one, God's plan is greater, which you all know. Uh, And in reality, God is more concerned with our eternal holiness than he is our momentary happiness. And so sometimes things happen because he's working out his plan of salvation to reconcile and bring people to himself. Uh, Number two, another reason that this happens is because of sin. And sin is missing the mark of anything that God would have us to do. Sin always, 100% of the time, leads to death. You say, Blake, okay, well, then why does there have to be sin in the world? Because there's sinners in the world. And if you say, Blake, well, then why don't we just get rid of the people who sin? That would be all of us. If you want to get rid of evil in the world, I got an idea. We'll just get rid of you and me. Because I make mistakes that lead to things I don't even fully understand. I hurt people with my words. You say, Blake, why doesn't God stop that? Because God doesn't want puppets. He wants people. It's a relationship in which I get to make decisions for good or for evil. God doesn't just want a whole bunch of minions. He wants people to rule and reign with him for our enjoyment and his enjoyment. And then finally, the the last answer I have to that question is, I don't know. (laughs) So I can give you all the theological stuff, but at the end of the day, we still don't know why evil happens. it's, It's just one of those things that reminds me I'm not God. See, if I could figure all of these intellectual ideas out, then God wouldn't be that big. But there are some things that expand beyond my brain that I can't fully figure out. I don't know why some people get all the suffering in the world. I don't know why it's hardest on some of the best people. I don't know why the effects of sin can't affect the corrupt, evil people more than it does the good, nice people. And uh, I, heard a, I heard a rabbi uh, talk about this, and it, it was really beautiful. I'd never thought of it this way. Uh, but he said, maybe the reason God doesn't give us all the answers about why evil happens and why things are so broken is because if he gave us an answer, it would be fully satisfying to us, and he doesn't want us to be fully satisfied. He wants us to continue to fight against evil. He wants us to continue to fight against pain. And you know what? I think that's right. I think the reason we don't fully understand why cancer happens to people is because there ought to be good doctors fighting against that cancer. The reason we don't fully understand why people are in poverty for cycles in their entire life is because we ought to be people fighting against poverty. The reason there's systematic uh, racism in the world, that the reason that right now in Uganda there was a president who ran and was elected and now the current regime has put him in prison and is threatening the people with an iron grip is because we're not supposed to be okay with that. 
We're supposed to be the people who say this is wrong and we will pursue justice. So Jesus doesn't actually answer the Jewish people's question, but you know what he does? He just goes in and he fixes it with active hands. Look at this, verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister. So much weight in that sentence. The dead man's sister. Told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days which is a big thing in, in Jewish history. They believed the spirit would kind of would ha- hover over the body for three days, but after four days, it was, it was completely over. There's no, no bringing back the person. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some people have said the reason he says Lazarus, come out, is because if he would have just said come out, all the dead people would have rose. (laughs) The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Here's what I love about this. Jesus just rose the guy from the dead. Do you not think he could have said, cloth, fall off of thy man. But he doesn't do that. He says, you go and unwrap him. See, we have a mission in our lives, and that is to be with people through thick and thin. We are to be there to help them unravel and unwrap the grief in their lives. And the thing about grief is it always takes longer than what we expect. But the thing you can do is to be a present force of action in their lives for as long as it takes. We're not going to be people who have empty promises. If you need anything, just give me a call. No, we're going to figure out what they need, and we're going to go in, and we're going to do it. We're going to go in, we're going to be the ones there with the casserole, not just one week after their loved one has died, but six months after. We're going to be the ones reaching out to them on Christmas during a hard time and saying, we're praying for you, we want to help you. We're going to be the ones in line to help pick up their kids when they're going through a tragedy. We're going to be the ones to help pay their bills when they've lost their job unexpectedly. We're going to be people with active hands because that's what Jesus does and that's what Jesus calls us to do. Listening ears, reflective hearts, and active hands. See, the most profound thing we can do for somebody who's suffering is to be there. It's the presence. Are we going to say things that are wrong? Absolutely. Are we going to sometimes miss reflecting heart because we're exhausted from the suffering? Absolutely. But you know who matters the most? Those people who continue to show up time and time and time and time again. It's been a year since that happened and you're still here. It's been two years. It's been 10 years. It's been 20 years. And you still remember the grief I'm going through. Those are the people we ought to be. I thought a lot about this this week. Um, I, I thought about my, my dad, my stepdad. I call him stepdad just to avoid confusion for you guys. I call him dad just generally because uh, he's, he's a man that, that was there my whole life. I've never known him not to be uh, my dad. And uh, I haven't talked to him before. I'm using him in my sermon, so I hope he's okay with this. Uh, dad, I hope you're okay. Uh, and I, I thought about how I'd kind of taken for granted uh, the way he loved me through the greatest tragedy in my life, which is losing my biological father. And uh, he was the first person I saw on that night. So I got woken up at 3 a.m. by my dad, uh, and he led me downstairs. I remember coming down the stairs, and, uh, and in that house, you could see the living room couch from way off. I could see my mom sitting there at 3 in the morning, and she was sobbing. Uh, and I thought, well, this is really strange. And my dad, all the way there, his hand on my shoulder. I can still uh, remember this so vividly. I can almost feel his hand on my shoulder. 
And uh, we got there, and my mom had told me, she said, uh, your dad has died. And I just remember, like, I was in shock. You know, I, I couldn't even really uh, take in what she was saying. And then uh, she told me again, and that's when it kind of hit me. And my, my dad there, in his best way to try to comfort me, uh, he didn't know what to say. What do you say in a moment like that? He says, well, I'm hungry. You guys want anything to eat? <laughs> Which I love that. Right? He didn't say the right thing. Because what do you say in that moment? But he was there for me. And what had to be a super awkward situation for him. And then over and over and over, over the next month, when I was still in shock trying to figure this out, when I would go into crying and weeping, he was right there with me, crying and weeping. He was right there saying, it's okay, you don't have to rush what you're going through. And even years after, he's still there. Last Christmas, I preached a message about my biological father and how I, I missed him and, and the things that went wrong. And my dad was one of the very first person to come up to me after the service and give me a hug. And he said, if you don't forgive yourself... You never, or so he said, you got to forgive yourself, something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what he said. But I just remember in that moment even thinking, how big of this guy to love me, to still call me son, to, to be there for me all, every step of the way. He never said, hey, why, why don't you get over it? Or why don't you move a little faster? Or you need to go to school now. Or, he never did any of that. He was always there to the best of his ability. And what matters most is nothing that my dad said. It's the fact that he was there and he's still there over and over and over and over again. And that's the way Jesus loves us. That's the way the God of all comfort is there with us. And that's the way we ought to be for people in our lives. We're going to be people with listening ears, reflective hearts, and active hands. I want to pray for us. And Molly and Briley, if you guys want to go ahead and come up. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it, it is not a word that just tries to silver line life and tell us everything's going to be A-OK and we're never going to have struggles. No, <laughs> you weep. There's sorrow because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And while we look forward to the day in which you come back and you make everything right, right now we're still in the muck and the mire. Your kingdom is breaking through in areas and there's areas of great rejoicing and we rejoice in those areas. But Lord, people still die. People hurt. People are broken. Lord, would you help us enter into that brokenness and be the source of compassion and empathy that you are? Lord Jesus, we love you. And we praise you. I pray that we'd be people with listening ears, reflective hearts, and active hands in all situations. Right now, if you would, just take about 20 seconds. And ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Eyes closed, head bowed. Father, it's in your name we pray. I pray that we would have the courage to love as you have called us to love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would stand and let's sing. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.